Good morning, church. The scripture is Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5, and it can be found on page 954 in the Pew Bible. If there is any encouragement in Christ, any consolation from love, any sharing in the Spirit, any compassion and sympathy, make my joy complete. Be of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accordance of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility regard others as better than yourselves. Let each of you look not to your own interests, but to the interests of others. Let the same be in mind of you that was in of Jesus Christ. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Well done. Thanks, Alex. So, uh, around uh, the world today, or certainly around the United States, in Methodist churches, the second Sunday of February is known as Scout Sunday, Boy Scout Sunday. And uh, I don't, I don't know if you had this experience in your youth, but actually, first time I ever came into a United Methodist Church is uh, because my Cub Scout troop was was hosted at at a, a Methodist church. I didn't grow up Methodist, but uh, the United Methodist Church has this long historic relationship uh, to our Scouts. And so, I just want to say to, uh, by the way, did you know that our that my, my partner in crime, the Reverend Mark Montgomery, is himself, in fact, an Eagle Scout. Yeah. I just want to celebrate all those of you who are part, partners with us in the scouting communities, partnering with us as Ebenezer Church to make a difference in the lives of our young people. God bless you and thank you for your service here. Uh, this morning we are continuing our sermon series. It's entitled, A Crazy Little Thing Called Love. And the story goes that there was a man who one day came downstairs, it was a Saturday morning, and he said to his wife, baby, I realize that I haven't done enough to help you around this house, and, and this is a joint endeavor, the management of this household, and I just, I haven't been pulling my weight, so I want to help today, I've decided I'm going to spend the day doing all the laundry. And so he went around the house, and he gathered every stitch of dirty clothes in the house, Took it all down to the laundry room. He commenced his work. And in just a few moments, his wife heard from the laundry room, Baby, do I wash my sweatshirt in hot water or cold water? And she said, Well, honey, um, what does it say? And he said back, Ohio State. (laughs) It will not surprise you to know... That men and women are different. Now, let me say as I begin this, that I'm going to be speaking to morning, this morning about some of the differences between women and men. And I recognize that when you're talking about a broad group of people, like all men and all women, not everything you say about a broad group of people is going to be thoroughly applicable to every person. I recognize that. I, I want to acknowledge and ask for your grace this morning to speak in broad generalities because I think in doing so, it will help us to begin to understand not only how we are different, but how we can come together to meet each other's needs. We are different. You know, inside of your brain, there is a sheath of nerves. It's called the corpus callosum. And it's, it's a bundle of nerves that separates the left hemisphere of the brain from the right hemisphere of the brain. It is quite literally the thing that connects the two halves of the brain, the corpus callosum. 
A 2013 Oxford study showed that the corpus callosum, the thing which connects the left side of the brain to the right side of the brain, is larger in women than it is in men. It means that physiologically speaking, women's right side and left side of brains are more fully connected. And some of the guys in here are going, it all makes sense now. What what does this mean? Well, uh, to to illustrate this, there was a book that was written not too long ago by Bill and Pam Farrell. They wrote a book called Men Are Like Waffles, Women Are Like Spaghetti. It's an interesting book because it talks about the way we process things differently. And the idea that women are like spaghetti, like every noodle is touching every every other noodle, that quite literally women have this tremendous capacity to, to, to bring things together. Um, there are times that Andy and I will have a conversation and I am shocked and amazed by her mental dexterity. It's moving from one subject to another and, and I'm not, it's, they're, they're all connected to her. But to me, they're not. That's because her brain's kind of like spaghetti. Everything's connected. Men's brains are more like waffles. Uh, there's a guy, there, there's a, a, a program out there called Laughing Your Way to a Better Marriage. Great program. I highly encourage you to, to, to YouTube it. It's, it's great. Uh, and in, in that, one of the guys uh, who leads the program says that you have to understand men's brains are, are like a warehouse full of boxes and that there's a box for everything. There's a box for you, there's a box for the kids, there's a box for the house, there's a box for your mother somewhere in the back, there's a box for everybody. <laughs> everything. But the one rule is that the boxes are never supposed to touch each other. Right? And so if you want to have a conversation with a guy, let him know what box you want him to access. And then give him a second, and he'll open that box, and, and we're off and running. Guys, guys' brains physiologically are more segmented. Women's brains physiologically are more connected. Is one better than the other? No. They, they both lead to, to wonderful opportunities for us to, to share together, but it is a difference. It's, it is true that there are just some differences between women and men. In our scripture passage today, Paul instructs us to look not to our own interests, but rather to the interests of others. So I want to spend our time today talking about some of the differences in the needs of men and women so that we can be better prepared to follow scripture's admonition to meet one another's needs. There's a United Methodist Church in Leewood, Kansas, just south of Kansas City. It's called the Church of the Resurrection. Uh, in some respects, it's it's very much like Ebenezer. It's a very large church. It's it's about an hour south of Kansas City, just like we're between an hour and six hours south of D.C., depending on traffic. Amen? Uh, and so this church got together. Their pastor is a guy by the name of Adam Hamilton, and he... He invited them, invited people to take a survey on love and relationship. And over 5,000 people took this survey on love and relationship. And so I want to spend a few minutes with you looking at some of the results of the survey that people not unlike us responded to about love and relationship in the hopes that it helps us better understand ourselves and, and the others. So um, I, I want to start, last week we talked about married couples a lot. I want to start today by talking about some of the responses of single people in this survey. The question that was posed was, what what traits or attributes 
are, are you seeking in a potential spouse? So they asked all the single people in the survey, what traits or attributes are you looking for in a potential spouse? If you'd like to follow along with this, there's an opportunity to do so on the back of your bulletin. If you're watching online, in the notes section in the online uh, viewing, viewing piece. So let's look at, at what men ages four, 19 to 49 said they were looking for, single men 19 to 49, what they were looking for in a partner. First, they wanted them to be honest. They wanted to have strong faith. They wanted them to be attractive, intelligent, and fun. Five things guys 19 to 49 were looking for in a partner. Now let's look at what guys 50 to 70 were looking for in a partner. Attractive. Honest. Emotionally stable. Strong faith and fun. That's what guys were looking for in partners. Let's take a look at what the younger ladies were looking at, 19 to 49. Single women, ages 19 to 49, were looking for someone who was honest, who was fun, who was of strong faith, who was intelligent, and who was a good communicator. Now let's look at what the older women were looking like. They wanted someone who was honest, who had a strong faith, emotionally stable, good communicator, and fun. Now, I don't just want to give you these. I want to invite us to take a look at them and, and, draw, and try and draw some, uh, some thoughts from them. You know, one of the things that I think we could see from looking at the left side versus the right side is that our needs change over time. You notice that all the people from 19 to 49, one of the top th- five things on their list was they wanted their potential partner to be intelligent. Can, can she hold a job? Can he hold a conversation? When we're young, we want to know, is he smart? When we get older, we want to know, is he crazy? (laughs) Intelligence drops off the list entirely, and it's replaced by emotional stability. Which tells us that, you know, if if he's not crazy, there might be a shot for us, right? I also think it's interesting that one of the, <laughs> one of the things about single men as they get older, they get increasingly honest. Uh, so one of the things we learn here is if you want to set grandpa up with a lady, she better be good looking, right? It's one of the things that, that we learn from this. Uh, but I think it's true. What this communicates, our, our needs, they seem to change over time. So people who are married, what you used to know as your spouse's needs may not in fact be that person's needs any longer. Have you ever had the experience of doing some form of physical activity and waking up the next day and saying to yourself, I didn't even know I had those muscles and yet they are sore. Has that ever happened to anybody in here? Raise your hands. Keep your hands up for a second. All right. Here's what I want to suggest this, this means. Those of us with our hands up, we know more about who we used to be <laughs> than who we are. Right? You can put your hands down. You know what that, what that also communicates is that it's almost certainly, very likely true, we also know more about what our spouse's needs used to be than what they are. So, one thing we could say is, I, how, how recently have, have we taken the time to ask our partners whether or not we are fulfilling their needs? And would we want to hear the answer to that question? You know, a second reflection from, from this list is that 
Single men, 19 to 49, and all women listed the single, the single most important attribute in a partner as honesty. Men over 50 listed as the second most important attribute, honesty. Honesty is incredibly important to people who are searching for a partner. Why? Because most of us have been hurt in the past by dishonesty. Dishonesty can lead to a betrayal of trust, and trust, once it is betrayed, is difficult. Not impossible, but difficult to rebuild. So if you are single and interested in attracting a mate, you don't have to be interested in attracting a mate, but if you're single and interested in attracting a mate, what this tells us is the single most important trait you need to have is honesty. Married couples, one more thing about this. Um, as we look at at the list of things that single people said they would value in a potential mate, I want to invite us to pose a very hard question to ourselves, and it's this. If you were not married to your spouse, would you still be the type of person they'd fall in love with? If you were not currently married to your spouse, would you still be the kind of person they'd fall in love with? And maybe your answer is yes, praise the Lord, hallelujah. But it can be so easy to get comfortable in our relationships and, and, and to find ourselves perhaps slipping on some of the attributes that we in fact value in, in others. And so it's worth asking, am I still the kind of guy she'd fall in love with, this kind of gal he'd fall in love with? If the answer is yes, great. If the answer is no, maybe we've got some work to do. What kind of work might that be? Well, a number of years ago, a guy by the name of Gary Chapman introduced an idea. It was called the idea of love languages. Most of you are familiar with the idea of love languages. But it's one of the things I talk about in premarital counseling. It's one of the conversations my wife and I regularly have. This piece, this piece of understanding helps set us up for healthy relationships in a way that is beyond most anything I have seen. The idea of of love languages is simply this, that all of us possess within ourselves this, this emotional tank, this love tank. And, and that, that there are, there are withdrawals taken from the love tank and deposits made into the love tank. And as long as deposits continue to be made, withdrawals can continue to be taken. As long as we continue to feel loved, we can continue to offer love. The problem comes like with any bank account. If you stop making deposits and continue to make withdrawals, pretty soon you're going to be in trouble. Now, what Dr. Chapman said was a nuance to this. He said one of the challenges is that oftentimes when people are trying to express love to one another, they are expressing love in a way that the other person does not receive love. And that's where the five love languages came from. It's as if the, it's as if, if I spend all day shouting at the top of my lungs, I love you in French, but you only speak German, you're not going to understand. So Dr. Chapman said that there are five love languages people can potentially speak. Here they are. The first is words of affirmation. This is the primary love language that men speak. It's interesting to some people that words of affirmation, saying nice things to we big burly guys is important to us, but the reality is that it is. It is the single largest love language amongst men. Guys want to know that that you think we're doing a good job. Quality time is the single greatest love language amongst women. So you can imagine what would happen if 
I continue to try and share love through words of affirmation and my spouse continues to share love through quality time. I am trying to tell her I love her and she's trying to tell me I love that she loves me, but our tanks keep getting depleted because we're speaking a different language. A third love language is physical touch. Oftentimes people think of physical touch as sexual intimacy, but in reality, people who benefit from physical touch, whose love language is physical touch, it's really just about uh, holding a hand or a pat on the back. It's simply a physical expression of of love from their their partner. Acts of service, I love you so much, I'm going to do this thing for you, and, and gifts. Now, the challenge is that we have a tendency to, to try and express love the same way that we, we receive love. So if I'm a words of affirmation guy, I tend to use words of affirmation. If I'm a uh, acts of service person, I tend to use acts of service. And we, we've all heard the golden rule is, the golden rule is that, that we should do unto others as, uh, we would have them, we would do unto ourselves. You know, the, the change though, there's a change that comes with, with love languages. I want to suggest the new golden rule of love is this. Do unto others as they would have done unto them. In other words, if I know that my spouse has a particular love language, rather than sharing love in my love language, I need to try and become fluent in his or her love language. If, if you are not familiar with love languages, here's what I want to invite you to do. Go to fivelovelanguages.com. Take a survey. It'll tell you what your primary love language is and probably what a secondary love language is. And it'll tell you what that, what that means. So I want to encourage you, married couples, go, go and take that survey. Single people, go and take that survey. Know how you, how you are best loved, what your love language is. But if you are somebody who knows all about these love languages, you've heard it a hundred times before, I want to issue the same challenge to you that I issue in premarital counseling. It's this. It is true that naturally, inherently, we tend to be predisposed to one particular language, oftentimes a primary and a secondary language. And it's helpful for us to know the language of our partner and to try and express love in that. But one of the things I challenge people to do in premarital counseling is to recognize that in the course of our lifetime together, we have a chance not simply to know one or two love languages, but to become fluent in all of the love languages. We talked about it last week. Our love, it's, it's not just something we try to make work. It's not simply something between a husband and a wife. When we love each other with passion and fire, when we love each other with tenacity, that love can set the, set the world ablaze. That love communicates to others that God exists. Our love for one another is missional, so let's do it with excellence. And one way we can do that is by striving to speak all five of these love languages. Let me transition back to the survey for just a moment. It was really interesting as I was reading the results of of this survey that these 5,000 United Methodists had taken about love and relationships. One of the things they asked of married people was, uh, do you, uh, when do you feel most loved by your partner? And, and one of the things that towards the top of the list for both men and women was, I feel most loved by my partner when they are sharing their feelings with me. Both men and women said that. But one of the things that also came across in the survey is that there was a perception by women that men did not regularly share their feelings. I want to suggest to you that that's not true. Guys share feelings. We just share feelings differently than women and men. I want to note, once again, as I'm talking in broad strokes here. Guys have a tendency to express feelings in a factual way 
that will take us about 60 seconds or less. Right? This is what happened. This is how I feel about it. Have a good day. That's how guys tend to express our feelings. Not all guys, but a tendency. Women have a tendency to express their feelings with, the, with, with details. Is one better than the other? The problem is that, that oftentimes men are made to feel bad because of the way we express our feelings, when in reality, if we understand that both people in the couple have a tendency to express feelings, we just do it differently, then maybe we could modify the way we express feelings so that our partner feels not only heard, but they understand our feelings as well. But let me say this. We all know that there are some really important conversations that we need to have in our lives. And when uh, an important moment for a conversation comes up, there's a a fair chance that we're not going to be able to express the depth of our feeling in 60 seconds or less. So I want to give you a tool that may be may be helpful. It's simply the tool of the strategic pause. It's to call a timeout in the relationship and to say, honey, I need 15 minutes to, to tell you what I've been feeling and what I've been thinking and, and what, I'm, what I'm worried about, what I've been praying about. I need 15 minutes to tell you that. Ladies, if, if you tell us that, if you say that to us, here's what guys are going to do. Are you ready? It's going to look like this. That's what we're going to do. We're going to step back and then we're going to lean forward. And you're going to think when we step back that that's us trying to disengage from a most of conversation. It's not. You know what we're really doing? We're going back into our warehouse and we're getting your box. Okay? <laughs> and we're, we're bringing it out and we're opening it up. And if you give us just a second to access, access the box from the warehouse, then we're ready. And, and I believe, I believe that men in this room want to support their wives. Amen? And I believe women in this room want to support their husbands. Amen? We simply have to set one another up to be successful. And so when we need to have conversations, we need to say, start out by saying, listen, I need to have a conversation. And when we do that, when we express our needs, we give our partners the ability to begin to meet our needs. Yes, we're different. Yes, we are different. It's true. But we are not opposites. We're not in opposition We are complementary puzzle pieces. We fit together. God made us that way. But it does require work for us to have healthy relationships and and to love the way that God has demonstrated we should love. It requires work. And so I wanted to give you a homework assignment if you would be willing. It's a mission should you choose to accept it. On the back of your bulletin, there are two... Two little lines there. And uh, above the lines are, is, is the question, what are two things that make you feel loved? I want to encourage you to write down two things that make you feel loved. It can be a love language thing. It could be an activity you participate in with your spouse. Something that makes you feel loved. My love language, words of affirmation. I've told you this story before. It was a year and a half ago, so I'm counting on you not remembering it. Uh, but it's, it's bear, it bears retelling here. There was this wonderful activity that happened a number of years ago with Andy and I, and uh, we were we were in our little house in Pembroke, Virginia, and it was it was a Friday night. It was about seven o'clock in the evening, 
Andy was sitting on our couch and she was working on our laptop doing, doing notes. She's a family practice doc. I was, I was on my chair. I was doing a final edit to the sermon for Sunday. And I vividly remember this. She, she put her laptop on the table. She looked at me and she said, Honey, do you know, I know, you're good at your job. And it was this, the, the, the ceiling popped off the parsonage. And fat little baby angels started flying around. <laughs> and and I, I, heard, I heard the song from Little Mermaid. <laughs> and I thought, finally, she, she gets me. I'm still working to learn her love language, but she learned mine, praise the Lord. I can tell you, my friends, if, if we will take the time to be expressive to our partners about how they can best love us, I believe they'll listen. So write down some things that make you feel loved. And then if you're married, share those things with your spouse. Let them know. If you're single, write those things down. Reflect on them. Share them with a family member, a loved one, a friend. Help them know how they can love you well. Scripture tells us that we should meet each other's needs. And to do this, we need to be aware of what those needs are. That often our spouse's needs are different from our own. But God has given us the gift of one another and the opportunity to do what God modeled for us. God's given us the chance to meet each other's needs. One final thought today. My dad grew up in a family where he was deeply loved, but they didn't say the words, I love you, very often. And so when my parents started, started dating, one of the things my dad recognized is that when my mom told him she loved him, it kind of made him feel alive inside. And so they had a conversation about it. And my dad said, I really appreciate you telling me that you love me as often as you do. I want us to do that in our marriage. And so they made this agreement that that they were never going to leave their home without saying to each other, we love you. I love you. And then once they had children, they said, our children are never going to leave the house without hearing those words, I love you. And so I grew up as a child bathed in language of love. And now my little ones, my babies, they hear it a hundred times a day that they are loved. You see, what happened was, my parents saw the opportunity to take a step forward in the way they loved each other with excellence. They took that step, and not only did it enhance their relationship, but it made a difference in the lives of their children and now their grandchildren. It's a generational transformation that's happened because they decided that they were going to love each other a little bit better, a little bit more completely. We have the opportunity to try and love the way God loves us, with excellence and beauty. But it's not easy. And we actually need each other's help, along with the Holy Spirit. We need each other's help to love each other well. So know what your needs are. Communicate them. And do your best to meet the needs of those who mean the most to you in the world. I hope you'll join us next week as we continue this series, A Crazy Little Thing Called Love. Would you pray with me, church? Holy, loving, and gracious God, we give you thanks for this tremendous gift called love that you've given to us. We give you thanks for the way that you've demonstrated your love to the world most beautifully through the event of Jesus Christ. 
We ask, O oh God, that you would inspire us to pursue love that is worthy. To pursue the kind of love that you gave to us. To strive to love each other with excellence. But God, it's not easy. We don't always know one another's needs. So help us to share. Help us to share what our needs are with our closest friends and loved ones. Help us to meet one another's needs. Just as you have met our greatest need of love and redemption. And God, help us experience your love as missional. May the love we share between one another set this world ablaze. May the earth see the love that we have and know that you exist. We pray these things in the powerful name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, and always for the sake of his kingdom. And once more, all of God's people said, Amen.